0: This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller.
1: We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation.
0: Hey, I am so glad you've come along to the More to the Story podcast. We have been going at this for almost a year now. We're coming up on our 52nd episode in just about a month. So there's a lot going on And our appreciation of so many people who've come alongside this podcast in this time. Now today is St. Patrick's Day when this comes out, and I thought it would be a great time for us to think about should we celebrate St. Patrick's Day or not? So right within the offices at Wesley Biblical Seminary is a St. Patrick scholar, believe it or not. (laughs) There is such a thing. Jeff. Jeff Bacus, who is a registrar and IT director, and amongst many other things that you do. Yeah. Uh, so, and he's working on a dissertation on St. Patrick. So, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank
1: you for having me. Appreciate being here.
0: I want to make sure just to highlight, too, we have a few sponsors who have made this podcast happen. WPO Development, also in Bill Roberts Financial Planning. Our thanks to those folks. You can find their information in our show notes and other things, like a, a whole backlog of podcasts that we've had for some time. But Jeff... Jeff, here's the thing. Like as we get going, St. Patrick's, I mean, some people might just see this as a time to, you know, get drunk or something. Yeah. Like, that. why would we even want yeah. to celebrate? So, so uh, how did you come to study St. Patrick?
1: Yeah, that's uh it's it's kind of an interesting journey. I've always loved theology. You yeah. know, I was a I was a biblical literature major at Indiana Wesleyan, but I love theology um, and I was really interested in historical theology. Yeah, yeah. I less systematic, more historical, and I loved uh, Celtic Christianity. I yeah, actually, it, it was interesting. I I found an author named Stephen Lawhead who oh, wrote yeah. a bunch of great historical Celtic books. Yeah, you
0: know, we've never talked about this. The the endless knot and all yes. those things. Like, what, what's that series called?
1: Um, that I can't the remember silver what hand. that. The silver hand. Yeah. Yes, the silver hand Endless knot. Um, There's Paradise War Paradise War yeah yeah. uh, in the region of the summer stars Um, but he wrote one in particular um, called the It's Robin Hood basically. It's a story of Robin Hood. It's called the the trilogy is Hood Scarlet and Tuck Okay, and he basically took the idea of what if Robin Hood was an actual historical character Interesting what it let's let's put him in history. Let's plop him down um, about 1080, 1066, the Norman invasion. And so he, the idea is let's move him from uh, Britain to Wales. Okay, interesting. Uh, and so he recreates the the story of Robin Hood um, in a way that puts him in Wales around the Norman invasion. And so he's fighting for his homeland. Okay, interesting. Uh, so it's, it's a really interesting series. Um, and so that got me... Started, I guess, down this path of discovering what Celtic Christianity is, and through that study, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, myth around what is is what is Celtic Christianity, and that's kind of a misnomer because Celtic Christianity is Christianity. Yeah, sure. There, there, there's there's no real distinction. But like it's it's Orthodox Christianity. Like it's there's nothing right. There's nothing more. I mean. Uh, you know people say oh it's it's this distinct flavor yes there are there are always distinct flavors in different regions of the world but there's nothing uh, nothing really mystical about this right sure a- this.
0: in any country has its yeah. version. it has yeah. its like cultural appropriations a-
1: yeah. a- absolutely and so um, that really got me started Um, And so I was in search of a PhD program after I graduated from Wesley Biblical Seminary. There you go. Um, After I graduated here, I I wanted to do something in historical theology. I wanted to do something in Celtic, uh, what I thought that time was distinctly Celtic Uh, Christianity. Um, And so I found University of Wales, uh, Trinity St. David, and discovered my advisor, who is an expert in Celtic hagiography. Okay. And so from there, I discovered that no one had really done any sort of theological work on the life of St. Patrick, which was written, um, in around six sixty to late se- to seven hundred. So let me about. interrupt you real quick. Yeah. like what you're saying. Nobody's
0: done work on the life of Saint Patrick. People might not realize that you're you're actually talking about the title of a book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, yes. Yeah, people have done, done it, but you're saying that nobody has actually looked at the theological assumptions, the historical accuracy, or what's assumed by the hagiography of the book, yes. the life of Saint Patrick. Yes.
1: So okay. I'm I'm studying Saint Patrick kind of secondhand, if yes, you will. So I'm studying a of Saint Patrick was written by uh, author named Muriku uh, between the the most accurate date is 760 to 800 no six66 six, sorry 660 to 700. okay um, We know we can date it within that that, that range. biography that by Patrick himself. So not St Patrick himself but what is interesting is that we have first-hand accounts from Saint Patrick.
0: Okay, interesting. And
1: so we have two writings from him, uh, the Letters to the Soldiers of Caroticus and then a Confession of St. Patrick, which is it's a defense of his ministry and life, basically. Okay. And so my author based almost the, the, the first the one in the 700s se- the one, 700s. In, the oh, one yeah. in the in the the 700 600s uh, 7th oh, century, century. Oh, gotcha 7th century okay. 7th century 600s um he based a lot uh, almost the first third are based on the confession gotcha and so, in doing research, you know, you have to read the confession if you want to understand what my author was trying to convey. So gotcha. they, they play off each other. They, uh, my author, expands a little bit. He he brings in some biblical allusions that are really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of mosaic uh, allusions, hmm. uh, and and Saint Patrick himself saw saw himself as as a almost a mosaic figure. You know, bringing Christianity. To Ireland, my author expands upon that and brings in, uh, just as Moses did in the desert, you know things things like that. Strong allusions to correlate what Patrick is doing with with almost a a, a mosaic mosaic figure. Gotcha. Uh, So it's really it's so I'm studying Saint Patrick. Second through the lens of Muraku. Right, through the right, lens right. of this hagiography.
0: Interesting. Yes. So hagiography is this idea. Why don't you explain what hagiography is? So right?
1: hagiography, yeah. the best way I can explain it, it is biography that is fantastic.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: Um it wasn't meant to be read historically. Yeah. That's not its purpose. Um it's more now I want to be careful here because. We can get into some a little bit of sticky situation. It's it's meant to be read more theological. There are historical underpinnings, and and uh, says that he's he's writing on the traditions passed down by his fathers. Right, right, right. Passed down through holy men who have preserved the the memory of Saint Patrick. Um, and it, at my text is really unique, like I said, because he he has a firsthand account. He has Patrick's own writings mm-hmm. to to go off of. But only for the first half of the book, right, right? Really, the first third of the book. The rest of the book is tradition that had been handed down, and so hagiography is it's a it's a fantastic biography, and so we have very early uh, hagiographical accounts of lives of those saints. So uh, Athanasius wrote the life of Saint Anthony. Um, uh, we have the life of Saint Martin that is very early. So we have a very early tradition of the Desert Fathers right. and, and other. And so he's very much in a stream of hagiographic literature. literature. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, so this is really important because some people might already be pushing back to this because it p- calls into question historical reality in general. Yes. So saying, oh, so now you're saying that St. Patrick didn't exist, or you not say none of this is real, you're just kind of... And well, couldn't you just do that with the resurrection? Oh, the resurrection didn't happen. I know we won't get into that here, yeah. but, but we're talking about something very different, and a different set of historical data that yes. we're working with. With, with the resur- and, and sometimes the word you're talking about a very specific type of literature, yes. some people within historical studies often will talk about hagiography and the problems of hagiography. Like for instance, in, in my study of William Booth, there are hagiographic elements yes. to the reporting of his life. And so there'll be biographies that are written that are all positive. Like there's not one negative thing about what. Yes. nothing like really showing the real color of his life. So- That's not hagiography in the tradition of what you're talking about, of like what happened to St. Pat, but there are hagiographic aspects. Yes. And I'll give you just one example like from William Booth's life. Like There's this one of the most famous scenes that happens is that before he dies, supposedly, um, he has this speech that is emblazoned in bronze on most Salvation Army buildings. It says, I'll fight, I'll fight to the very end while while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. So uh, the reason I say that is it's likely that that didn't happen, that he actually didn't yeah. say that. Now, is it something that he would have said is in the spirit of him? Absolutely. Can yeah. I take inspiration from that? But did he actually, you know, a couple of days before he died, go up and give this speech? Mm-hmm. Probably not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. That That's a great example. And where we get, I mean, this is where we get the term, oh, that's hagiographical. Right. When, right, when we right. say that, we are uh, meaning that it's a fantastic element. Okay. And so... But I want. I also want to be careful to know that just because something is hagi- hagiographical doesn't mean that it yes. didn't happen. Right. Right. It's still. Still, it, it's still. I mean, we believe in the resurrection. Yes. Amen. Yeah. That is the most quote hagiographical thing. I mean, we we. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but we believe it, and yeah. we know that it was a historical certainty. It's a right. historical reality, and if we believe that, then why can't we believe that? Um, St. Patrick identified a drop of poison that was in his cup, froze the liquid, all except for the poison, and the poison dropped out, and he was able to unfreeze the liquid and drink with no Mm -hmm. side effects. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. That
1: is a much less of a miracle, at least in my opinion, as the right. resurrection of Jesus himself. Right, sure. So just because something is there's hagiographical, supernatural reality, there's supernatural yeah. reality yeah. in Christianity. That's yeah. that's a fact. So we we have to be careful in saying, in discounting the historicity of some right. of the hagi- hagiographical elements.
0: Right. And so right, that's where right, right.
1: there has, that what there has been a lot of work in is identifying historical Patrick.
0: Interesting. let's get into
1: that. There's been a lot of work in that. So
0: what do we know, actually? What can we know about St. Patrick?
1: So we can know that he lived in the 5th century. So from about, most scholars believe, 432 was when he arrived. Okay. So we have have early documents of Palladius, actually. Um, Some scholars think that Palladius is Patrick and that they're one of the same. And he was sent by the pope. Okay. To evangelize and to less evangelize, but to support the Christians who are already in Ireland. That's another misno- mistake that people make is that they assume that Patrick was the first one to introduce Christianity. Christianity mm-hmm. had already been uh, established. I mean, people traded. All the time between the British right. uh, British Isles and Ireland, there was trade, there was commerce, and so Christianity had been introduced. There were Christians there. That's why the Pope sent Palladius. Okay, yeah, so we yeah. have that. So we know that there are Christians in there, um, and we know that Patrick wrote the confession. He wrote the letters of the letter to the soldiers of Caroticus. So we have those firsthand documents, and so but the best guess is that he operated in Ireland from about 432 to as late as 492-93. We have two different uh ob- obituaries of him, one that um there's there's a Patrick that dies in 464. Yeah. and then one who dies in 492-93. And so the scholar of the debate has been then what which one is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, Th- that is not the concern of my right, research. Right, sure, sure. That's not the concern of my research, so I...
0: But that's just kind of where things that's are. That's kind yeah. of
1: where things are. So we know that he operated sometime in the the fifth century. Gotcha. We know that Christianity in Ireland flourished in the fifth century. We know yeah. from Patrick's own writings that he knew both the Vulgate... The Latin translation. The Latin translation, which... Of the Bible. which. Um, Jerome would have written at the beginning of yeah, the 5th sure. century. So we know it would have taken some time for that to disseminate to Ireland.
0: Right, to get all the so, way there. But
1: so we he uses the Vulgate, but he also uses the old uh translations as well of of particularly the Old Testament. Okay. And so that tells us that it's a it's a very good uh very very good historical evidence that places him in the fifth century okay no earlier than that and the Ireland uh, became thoroughly Christian within the fifth century into the into the sixth and seventh where my author lives is now my author lives in a time where it's it, it is Christian but there are still pagan elements as well right, there, there are, I mean paganism still, uh, was very widespread during that during that time, just like just like it is yeah, today, sure. really. Yeah, you know even yeah, I mean? <laughs> you you're in a Christian country. Exactly. So. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's back up. So the um, what is it that we miss about what what is not true about Saint Patrick? Okay. Like, that's, like let's get to this. A bit, we we kind of know about what what did he probably a leader in mm-hmm. his church? Probably was you know a, a literate, probably able to communicate and. Serve to bring Christianity into more prominence in that mm-hmm. region, but what what do we miss about so, that? what's w- w- wrong? Some
1: of the myths. Okay, so uh, there's this myth that he used a uh, clover. Yes. To since
0: everything is green today, hand, uh, yeah. the
1: the green thing uh, that he used a clover to explain the Trinity. There is no evidence for that. Okay. There, there is no early evidence that he did that. That would be actually heretical. Uh, he was. Trained. My author says that he went to Spain to train. Um, his own account is uh, kind of uh, gray in that area. There, there's not a whole lot that he himself gives of his training, but tradition states that he trained in Gaul. He was actually on his way to Rome to be trained when he met somebody in 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 Gaul and said, "This person is." Amazing, and so he sat at his feet and learned. Some say thirty years; some say forty years before he uh, went to Ireland to be a missionary. Gotcha. Um, so uh, we know that he was thoroughly orthodox. Okay. We know that he did. He knew heresy. He knew about Pelagius. He knew he knew the Pelagian heresy, um, and so we can. It's it's pretty unlikely that he would have used a clover to. Teach on the Trinity. Okay. I mean, the, 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 it's 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 modalism. It's a, it's a form of modalism, and he would have known that. Okay. Um. So probably didn't use that. Uh. The the whole snakes and have you heard this one? He drove out the snakes right, in right. Ireland. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh. So uh, that's one of those things that there there were never snakes in Ireland. Okay. <laughs> so that, that let let's try to explain this. Why aren't there any snakes? Well, uh, Saint Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, he drove them out. There weren't none to begin with. That's just a that's that's a myth. That's a, yeah. that's a complete myth. Um, so uh, the, the idea of getting getting cold, totally drunk on St. Patrick's Day. I mean, uh, they had different different views of of alcohol. Obviously, they they drank beer. Um, they they brewed beer. Uh, so, but probably he's not going to get wasted. Yeah, you know, he yeah. he's probably a little bit more temperate than that. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because he he places himself, and we know this from his confession within the ascetic tradition. So he he we don't know if he actually took monastic vows. Okay. When I say ascetic tradition, I mean kind of the, the monastic tradition. We don't know if he took monastic vows. Mm-hmm. But we do know that he saw himself within that tradition. So there are different there are elements within his confession that place it place him Within that, so the idea of solitude, he he has a wandering in the desert, mm. uh, mm-hmm. very reminiscent of the desert fathers. Interesting. Uh, pe- people like Saint Anthony, um, Martin. Uh, yes, all, all of those, all of those desert fathers. Okay, so like,
0: could you just go back and and give me like a real quick bullet point of of like kind of what we know? Uh, we'll go back to the myths of what sure. we know of his life because like, wasn't there something like? He is kidnapped. Uh, this yeah. Piece. So like, just,
1: yeah. just hit those. Pe- yeah. So um, he states in his confession that he was uh, at 16 years old, he was kidnapped uh, with, uh, th- he says thousands upon thousands of others, and taken to Ireland. So he is actually captive in Ireland. So he works as a shepherd. Okay. Uh, yeah, again, yeah. the mosaic ties, right? That, that, so he works as a shepherd um, for six years. He's he's a slave until he, and that is where he, uh, that is where he's converted. Okay. So he, he admits that he, his grandfather was a priest, his father was a deacon, but he himself admits that he did not fear God. Interesting. He uh, was nominal at best. He knew about the faith, but it wasn't until his, his captivity that God got a hold of his heart. Hmm. And he says that, he it awoke something in him that he would pray constantly he says 100 times a day and a 100 times at night again within he felt that, his heart strangely he, warm. he felt exactly he yeah. felt this heart strangely warm and so during this time he heard from god and he said uh go be be free your your ship is ready it's, it's a long ways away. It's about 200 miles. Now, that's not 200 miles as, as the bird flies. It's probably winding away, but yeah, it's sure. 200 miles away. And so he goes, and he walks, and he doesn't know where he's going or, or, or what what he's supposed to do. He knows the boat has been made ready. And so he goes, uh, eventually finds himself uh, at the sea, and there's a group of pagans. And and he he says, can I come with you? Hmm. And they agree. They take him on. Now, he's very um very careful about not associating himself with pagans. And so he says he refused to be that close closely akin to them. Mm-hmm. There there was a aspect of if we're going to take you on you become one of us. Yeah. And he says no 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 no, I'm not one of you. Okay. And so there's that 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 distinction. And so um, he boards the ship. And this is from his confession. So he boards the ship. He uh, sets sail. He eventually gets to a place where he tr- he goes through a desert for 28 days, and he leads the people, uh, leaves his his uh, group of pagans that he's with through the desert, and he provides them food, a miraculous uh, event. Um, and and he he writes us that that he they were starving, they were grumbling, and so he prayed that he would. He was fasting at this time. He was told to fast. Uh, God told him to fast, and so he he prays and provides this food for them.
0: Mm. He does
1: not manna in the wilderness, and so he does not partake because it had been um, sacrificed to to pagan gods. So he's still fasting Mm. during the night. He's attacked spiritually Mm. to the point where he could not move. He was immobile, Mm. and he cries out for help, Mm. and he says. I firmly believe that the Lord met me there and I said there was darkness all around and I saw the light come and expel the darkness interesting and so he's safe from this he eventually another mosaic theme, another mosaic theme. he eventually um, comes home hmm. but and that that's where that's where the confession kind of stops uh, as far as uh, the autobiographical autobiography um, and so he goes home he hears what is called the voice of the Irish. A man named Victorious appears to him and, and is carrying letters. He says, these are the voice of the Irish begging you to return, gotcha. begging you to come back as a missionary. And so from that point, he then goes back. Uh, my gotcha. author takes him to Gaul, and it's, it's a whole big thing. But as far as what we know from his confession, he then goes back. It's interesting because even to this day, that phrase, voice of the Irish, is still on uh, stamps, hmm. Irish stamps. Um, it has, it's in Latin, but it says Voice of the Irish right there. Interesting. And so it's embedded into the culture, into the Irish culture. So that, I think that's really interesting. So we know that he was extremely pious. Mm-hmm. We know that he was a man of prayer. We, uh, He describes in his confession that... Uh, as he's agonizing over the state of the, the spiritual state of Ireland, he's agonized. He does. He says he doesn't even know what to pray, but the Spirit was at work in him, praying on his behalf. Hmm. Wow. And so we know that he was a man of prayer. Uh, we know that he, he had an impactful ministry in Ireland. The reason he writes his confession is because uh, people question it. Hmm. People were questioning what God was doing through him. Hmm. And so he says, "Listen, uh, this is what this is what the Lord has been doing. Hmm. We know that he uh, had resistance mm-hmm. within the church. Um, maybe it was jealousy. Yeah. Uh, maybe there was some politics going on, which is which is most likely um, trying to delegitimize his ministry. Yeah. So we know that he 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 was there was resistance to his ministry, and." And so he was a man of prayer, but he was also a man of conviction. Yeah. He saw monastic vows as a very positive thing. Um, he valued human life. He, this is one of the first instances that we have of someone speaking out to the slave trade. Hmm. Wow. In his letters to the soldiers of Caraticus, he's, like, he's, he's basically saying, what are you doing making captive Christians? Right. What, what are you, what's going on here? The, we're all Christians here. We can't be taking other Christians captive. Mm. That's it. so. He was uh, very early on against mm. the practice of slavery. At least Christians, right? And, and, Christians. And, and
0: like like you said, Christians, and, and it maybe didn't have the distinctions that we would have at this point. No, but yet we wouldn't. There's something that's not right. There's something not right he, morally going on. He
1: identifies there's something morally not right, mm-hmm. and so he speaks out against it. Yeah, and uh the later tradition says that Carotacus himself was transformed into a fox and oh, is never seen again. So, yeah, he speaks out against it, and Carotacus basically says, I don't care, I'm yeah. still going to do it, and he's transformed into a fox. So that's kind of a fun fun story.
0: So like, let's see if we can, like, what what, it, what are, like, the two things? Like, make, I'm going to push you to get two things that we should, uh, reasons why we should, honor this legacy of St. Patrick for our time.
1: Reasons why should we should honor St. Patrick's legacy? I, he did even just for the work that he did in Ireland, like he he is I won't say solely responsible because I think that would be um a little too much, but he that would be a little hagiographical, but he is in large part responsible for the Christian nation of Ireland. Mm. He was a powerful missionary. Um, and he's an example of someone that we can look up to. One, he 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 stood up for what was right, what he thought was moral. He stood up for his um, he stood up for his ministry, what God was doing in in Ireland, what God was doing through him. And he gives all the credit to God. Mm-hmm. He does he he does not say it's it's me or my uh, programs or my preaching or anything. He says this is what God's been doing. Yeah, yeah. And so his uh, so his. His missionary work is something that we need to celebrate. celebrate. Yeah, yeah, We sure. need to celebrate that. And I, I think his, his, his humility and piety is something mm-hmm. that we can, a lot of church leaders can learn from. Because mm. it's not about a program. It's not about a personality. Developing a platform. It's not about developing a platform or uh, anything like that. He is constantly deflecting... Off of himself and onto the work that God is doing through him. Yeah, and that is a leadership lesson that we can take. Um,
0: yeah, he
1: he spent his, his he, he he never saw himself as Irish, hmm. but he he there is recognition that he is here for the long haul and he is here till death. Wow, he yeah. never saw himself as going back. Wow, to Bur- burned home. the ship so to speak. Yeah, he yeah. he basically he burned burned the ships. So,
0: let, so, there. But there is a famous, some of the famous sayings from the Confessions. Like, what are some of those?
1: So, um, probably his most famous uh, saying is falsely attributed to him sadly okay. it's a, like like the William Booth it's it's it, he would probably have said it but yeah. his uh the the prayer that is written yeah. on the Saint Patrick's breastplate it's very mm-hmm. very famous uh, Christ before me Christ in me Christ Christ when I rise Christ yeah. when I lie down um, uh, that that whole prayer yeah, yeah that's very right. very famous um, it is a prayer uh, that is modeled Ooh. after the armor of God um. It's a prayer of protection, and we see that theme throughout Patrick's life. God had divinely protected him um, in multiple, multiple instances, um, and so that's his most famous, I guess, saying, but did he say it? Did he not? Um, I, I, I only He actually has this really interesting phrase that he says, only God knows. Yeah, sure. O- only, only God knows, but... Um, so as far as like the sayings go, it's it's hard to identify one or two because but, but we just don't know. But that statement is
0: something that we could that that still is in the spirit of him. Like, oh, absolutely! Certainly, like it's something as you're working with your kids and you talk about your kids. Like why 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 are we wearing green today? Or what, well, let's think about who Saint Patrick is. We point back to his historical figure. The prayer of Saint Patrick is a beautiful prayer,
1: beautiful to, prayer. to bring up on Saint Patrick's oh, Day. Oh, absolutely, absolutely! It's a it's a beautiful prayer. It is in within the patrician spirit. Um, it, it, it's something that uh, we, we Christians should know. It's one of yeah. those prayers. Uh, Dr. Friedemann, here, a professor here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, he has this discipleship uh, the, an age eighteen list that he calls it, and He um, goes through and. Uh, this age 18 list, and one of the things that he does is uh, the mealtime. Mealtimes yes. are are very, very important to him. Mm. And so one of the things that they would do is memorize famous prayers. Yeah. And so I love that idea of memorizing famous prayers, and this should be on the list of those famous <laughs> prayers. It, yeah. if, if it's not, it should be... It, on the list of every single person who 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 prays, the prayers of the yeah. saints, and, and we should we should know.
0: Yeah, it's good to some people that in the, in their traditions, it's not something really. Prayers are always spontaneous or yes. extemporaneous, but there is some real power in taking somebody else's words and praying them yourself, praying Absolutely. the Psalms, maybe people do that, but taking St. Patrick's, this, this prayer in the tradition of St. Patrick and yeah. praying it, that would be a great thing. Oh,
1: it do. would be it'd be a fantastic thing. And I, I think, going back to spontaneous prayer, I think that's uh, in a large part why people are, um, they don't pray in public or they don't know what to pray. Right. And so there's been this stigma of, well, if I don't know what to pray, I'm, I'm just kind of not going to pray mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. if we destigmatize scripted prayers yeah. in our evangelical circles i think that would transform the prayer life of of many many people right, of just right, saying, it's right. okay if you don't know what to pray it's okay to take a prayer from scripture or a prayer from one of the one of the saints and make that your own yeah sure make yep. that your make those words your own pray them as if you were praying them for the very first time. Yeah. And when you do that, it transforms the way you pray. So if you look in the show
0: notes, I'll make sure to put it in there. We'll have a copy. Uh, we'll have a link to—or no, we'll just, I'll, I'll probably just put in the show notes It has— uh, the St. Patrick prayer or yeah. something that you could use. Maybe we could even come up with a way, like we could share it in a kind of a printable way or something sure. that's more attractive. We could sure. put that in there, put a link in there. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. Oh, I love Absolutely. that emphasis. Anything else that you wanted to say about St. Patrick? I know you have like, yeah. go, go see <laughs> a f- 400 page dissertation. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I have a whole, whole dis- dissertation of, well, not a whole dissertation yet. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm still, still working on it. I tell people, I think I'm halfway through. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but, uh, what I mean, anything else you wanted to say? Anything else I want to say? I mean, there's so much to say about St. Patrick, but um, the, the thing that I always highlight is that he was a man of humility, he was a man of prayer, he was a man who, who stood up, um, when it was it, when God called him to, yeah. Sure. I mean, he was he responded very to that call to go he, back to he Ireland, he responded yeah. to the call to go back to the people who enslaved him. Wow. Um, the, actually, the, the first thing that he does, um, again, this is, this is my author. My author, the first thing that he does is not go directly to the king of Ireland. He goes up to where he was taken captive mm. in the hopes that he could repay and buy his freedom. Wow. Because he, he wants to start his ministry from a place of, of freedom. Yeah. And so he says, "I ran away."
0: Right. He did the wrong thing. He did the speak. wrong yeah, thing. Yeah, like he, he did the wrong thing. Slavery. He
1: he left his master, and so he he wants to go and buy his freedom, right? So that he can start his ministry from the 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 moral place is, is how he would have seen it. Right, this is the right. moral thing to do, and um, he goes there, and his his former master says, "I see this Patrick coming." I don't want to be, I don't want to bow. I, I know if he comes to me, I'm gonna have to bow my knee to him. Hmm. And so he decides instead of bowing my knee to Patrick, I'm going to burn myself and my wealth. Oh my. And so he takes everything that he owns and puts it in his house and sets it on fire. So Patrick sees this from afar and says, God knows. Hmm. That, that that's that's his response. Only God knows. And so he turns away. And the first convert um, happens right then. Hmm. He meets this, he meets some, when he first arrives, he meets this good man and he converts, he converts to the faith Hmm. right away. Wow. And so it's within that context that the first convert is, is, is set. so it's really, really interesting. But he was a man who Maybe just
0: because... Kind of like the, the assumption there is his obedience, Yeah, like that he went back to do what he's supposed to do, and after he took that obedient action, that's when the fruit started to come. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: He was obedient to what God called him to do, and that could not have been an easy, easy task. Yeah. I mean, this was this was pagan territory. This was this was outside of Christendom. I mean, so we have, uh, you know, the, the Great Commission, right? Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This was the end of the earth. Yeah, sure. There was an eschatological view that he himself had. He was ushering in the end days because this was the end of the earth. There was nowhere else to go. go, Like you're at the last
0: place. You're at
1: the last place. And so Patrick himself saw that this was fulfilling the great commission. He was fulfilling scripture here. Yeah. And so that uh, a lot of people took issue with that too. Sure. A lot of people took issue with that. But he saw himself as being that ends of the earth missionary. Right. That had to take courage. That had to take something special within himself to say this is this is outside th- this is outside the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. This is outside the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has not expanded this far yet. We're going into uncharted territory. Yeah. Man, We're, it's
0: powerful. It's being an in end, end of the earth Christian. I like I've never I've never even heard that term, like to describe it that way. Well, I think this is great. Jeff, thank you so much Absolutely. for taking time to talk through this. I know it's like this it's all around you right now. <laughs> You're thinking about it through the, and also this is a unique approach too, going back and looking at the way the hagiography happened, but also what this tells us and how this can inspire. So thank you for taking time, it from a, a scholarly side to do it, but also to kind of bring it down to the. the this level for us. Absolutely. The,
1: and that's, that's my goal uh, at the end of this project. You know, you do the scholarly work so that, uh, at least in my view, I'm doing the scholarly work so that I can say, okay, why why is this important? Yeah, why absolutely. should we study the lives of the saints? Why, why should the people in the pew, the pastors who are preaching, why should we care about these things? The hagiography doesn't need to be scary. Yeah. There is a grand tradition of the communion of saints that we miss in our yeah, evangelical sure. yeah. circles, and so if we can say, if we can say, these are holy people that we that are steadfast in the faith, that are courageous in the faith, and and who are imitating Jesus Himself, and so I want to be, be to imitate Jesus. I want to imitate right. Patrick, I want to. That's what Paul says. Yeah, I Paul like says, how you brought up the communion of saints. Like that's part of what, what we're talking
0: about here. And last yeah. week I just taught a class in Mexico on ecclesiology. So again, this is a part of what we affirm in the Apostles' Creed. I believe, forgive the sins. The communion of saints. Like this is this, this is a part is, of the call. Like a part of being a Christian is celebrating and looking at what God has done mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Paul says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." Yeah. So that is what we're doing when we when we look at these. Historical figures, yeah. we're we're looking at them through the lens of what God has done in their lives, yeah. in order that we too can follow in their foot, so that we can follow faithfully, that we can take the kingdom to uncharted territory. Right, that's right, being into the earth, Christian, absolutely. Jeff, thanks so much. Absolutely. It's great. Thank
0: you all for coming along to the Mortis Story podcast. Check this out. Share a link to this, particularly today when it comes out on uh, St. Patrick's Day. It might get people's attention because they, they might not know what it is. They might be curious why people are wearing green, but we hope they get caught into this message, yes. the big picture of what God's doing in the world and how he's inviting them into it, just like that's what St. Patrick did. I mean, this Absolutely. is a, an evangelist.
1: So we're <laughs> yeah. celebrating
0: an evangelist <laughs> yep. today and God's call and God's work in his life. So thanks,
1: Jeff, for coming along. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. God bless you all.